There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. Good lineup today. We're going to have Raj Lala on. He's the president and CEO of Evolve ETFs. It's a new ETF company that is involved in thematic investing, cyber investing, uh, uh, gender diversity investing, marijuana investing, and even some blockchain ETF ideas. So if you're into uh, blockchain likes, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, Joe Farrell, he's a uh, uh, head of research at Velocity Trade Capital. Uh, I consider him a chartist. Uh, he sends Jack and I some very, very good ideas on a daily basis, breakouts, breakdowns. So the name of the game is to buy that which is going up and avoid that which is going down. And Joe, well, he helps us with that. We're going to end the show with a discussion on oil, so important to Canada. Uh, Simon Ackett, Managing Director, Global Head of Energy Sales at Canaccord, is going to join us, give us some energy ideas, and probably talk a little bit about Trans Mountain as well. Uh, but without further ado, Raj Lala. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, that is your last name, Lala. That's right. Lala. That's a nice last name. Um, tormenting in primary school. I bet it was, but it, it's a very, very nice name. It rolls off my tongue well. Um, new company, Evolve ETF, but six months in the business, yet you are managing almost, what, $200 million already. That's right. That, that, that's very, very impressive. Uh, I know how difficult it is to uh, acquire assets, and you have to sell guys like me. That's and right. I am no easy sale, my good friend. Uh, but really, what really caught Jack's attention, my attention, is the thematics uh, that you're coming to market with. Um, again, the ETF business is now, what, probably three decades young. Uh, I remember the tip back when I was an investor. I'm probably dating you because I'm so much <laughs> older than you. Uh, I'm dating myself. Tips uh, was actually the first ETF in the world. Correct. And uh, I remember, gee, I thought that was so revolutionary how you could just buy the market without a mutual fund and uh, away you went. Uh, but of course, times have changed. Uh, now uh, now exists marijuana ETFs. You've, you're, you've launched a blockchain ETF. Uh, so so let's, get, let's get into this thing here. Um, who are buying these ETFs and are they tradable vehicles or are they buy and hold vehicles uh, and what kind of traction are you getting on your various flavors that you've launched? We're getting, we're getting really good traction so far. I, I, thematics really are a way for investors to express a view and especially from an investment perspective to take a look at long-term investment trends. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to not confuse thematic investing with fads. When you look at something like cybersecurity, I think most people will agree that cybercrime is going to continue to increase, not decrease, over the course of the next five or ten years. Therefore, the demand for cybersecurity services should follow suit. And when you look at areas like gender diversity, I, I believe that many companies are becoming more and more proactive with increasing gender diversity in the workplace. You look at the future of the automobile and the electrification uh, of cars today and the technology that's going into them as well. You're going to continue to actually see growth in areas such as that. And then, of course, marijuana uh, ETFs or marijuana investing continues to play out. And as we approach globalization and legalization on a rec use perspective and also the edibles that are going to be coming through from a legal perspective in, a, in next summer of 2019. There's a lot of waves of growth that you can participate in. So I, for many people, it's just a way for them to express a view in a specific area of the market. Interesting. So, so let's start with the automobile ETF. Um, next week on our show, we have, um, we have a professor of um, environmental studies uh, coming on the show. Um, and we're going to talk, of course, about uh, the being green. Uh, but specifically, I did some homework today. And uh, do you know how many um, combustible cars currently exist on Canadian roads, cars, and trucks? 
combustibles? 99.9%. I do know that electric vehicles made up about 10,000 sales last year, so I would imagine it's still 99.9% There's about 33 million combustible engines driving on the streets of Canada. 33, that's one vehicle per person. I couldn't believe it. My guess on that number before, because I asked the question, did some homework, and before you got the answer, I guessed, and I guessed at around 10 million vehicles. Jack thought the number was pretty accurate. Couldn't believe it was 33 million. Now I want to flip it around. How many electrical vehicles exist on Canadian roads today? And the answer is 47,000. 47,000 versus 33 million. So either there's a lot of runway in front of us here for electric cars, or... It may not take off. And, and that's the way you look at it, though. It's rate of change and potential for growth for these. You know, they're growing off a small base, which, like you said, is in the, in the thousands. But there's huge potential for them in the technology in the future. Right? Yeah. The question of, is what you pay for it today. So, so two questions. So rate of change, it's up about, I think, 70% year over year, 100% year over year. Uh, so we certainly are moving in the right direction. Um, well, so, But this e- automotive ETF of yours is not just about electric cars, is it? It's also about driverless cars? That's correct. That's a segment of it. But to, to cover off your, your point, last year there were 10,000 cars, electric cars that were sold in, on Canadian soil. You're absolutely right. Uh, there's still a long way to, gro- to go from an from a adoption perspective. But you're seeing the auto manufacturers, Land Rover, Volkswagen, Volvo, all coming out publicly stating that in the next five years, years, all of their vehicles will be made either hybrid or electric. You're seeing countries like India and China that are saying that in the next 10 to 25 years, they're actually going to ban the combustible engine from the roads because of the amount of pollution that takes place there. So you're definitely seeing companies and countries moving in the right direction as it relates to adoption. And you're also correct. Electrification is one element of that ETF. And then the other side of it is the autonomous. We it, this, this fund really surrounds the concept of ACEs, which is autonomous, connected, electrification, and shared. And the technology that's going into cars today is incredible. So, uh, you're seeing so many cars being connected out there. Uh, you're seeing companies like NVIDIA creating uh, the chip that has the ability to make 3.2 million decisions per second. Wow. So you're definitely seeing a major technological improvement. And it's already getting integrated into many of our cars that we use today. Uh, we're, we're in studio here with Raj Lala. He's the president and CEO of Evolve ETF. Again, an ETF is a version of a mutual fund without a active fund manager. Uh, so they're obviously cheaper to buy, uh, yet well diversified. When I look at the uh, ETF we're talking about here, uh, the exchange traded fund, uh, again, it's uh, one-stop shopping, gets you at uh, 25 or 30 different lines of entry, uh, meaning investments. But I go down the list, you got companies in here like General Motors. I don't think overly green when I see GM and Ford. Sure, they're making changes. I see it with Tesla. That's in the lineup. Uh, Volkswagen, I drive a Volkswagen. Guess what? It's a diesel. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how green that puppy is. Depends so, when you bought it, I guess, right? I bought it 14 years ago, <laughs> and I get 900 clicks to a tank. Uh, but you got some chip stocks in here. And, and, and those automotive chip stocks really changed the vehicle. So from an environmental point of view, what do you believe these chips are doing to help the uh, country and world be a greener place to live? So the car manufacturers, first of all, uh, typically the way we the way we structure this portfolio is the, the car manufacturers that have the highest percentage of R&D, research and development yep. to sales, are what make it into the portfolio. Hmm. And to address the Tesla point, I think this is a really good reason as to why maybe people should look at an ETF as a proxy to the future of the car. Because when you actually go and talk to a lot of the experts in the automotive sector, many of them actually feel that Tesla might be the next BlackBerry instead of the next Apple. So <laughs> GM and Ford are actually making bigger strides, not just from an electrification perspective, but also from an autonomous perspective as well. 
Very good. Well, we're going to pay some bills around here. So right after the break, uh, more uh, discussion with Raj Lala, President and CEO of Evolve ETFs. Uh, we're getting thematic here, and we are going to talk about marijuana stocks right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, indeed. Lots of that going on. Lots of changes. Changes in well, changes in the landscape of investing your money. Uh, you can now buy companies that produce marijuana, and you can buy them in an ETF format. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that with one purchase, you can get yourself a basket, uh, a potpourri, a garden of marijuana stocks. Yes, a garden variety of marijuana stocks. Just what we all need. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Evolve ETS has a new product. It's called Seed. Well, the symbol is Seed. S-E-E-D, trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange? Correct. Um, I take it there's no U.S. marijuana companies in there? That's right. That's right, yeah. But so a bunch of Canadians. So Canopy Growth, uh, been on the show many times. Aurora Cannabis is in there. Afria, Kronos, uh, Canamed. Uh, obviously the big players that uh, make up the ETF. Um, so you're now competing with uh, the HMMJ, which is a uh, Horizon, Horizon product. product. Um, but what's the difference in size between the two products? <laughs> you versus them? I think the Horizons ETF is probably about seven or 800 million. Now I think is that big, eh? Yeah, we're at about five or six. I mean, that just you're at five or six million or hundred million million million. Oh, yes, <laughs> it goes to show there's a major first movers advantage in spaces like that. We just launched about a month ago, but what we what we are doing that's quite a bit different from HMMJ is we're taking on an active approach to management. Uh, we think that you know areas like this and even blockchain because they're so relatively new from an adoption perspective, it's important to have a manager that has the ability to kind of screen some of the companies and capitalize on the ones that are making. Uh, the most inroads and, and at the same time potentially pair back. So the, the, it's so new and there's, there's, it's not like you have you know 20 years of data to support a lot of these companies. So it's important, we feel, to take an active approach to it. And I would say that's probably the biggest uh, difference. Interesting. Uh, let's move on. The other one that uh, has been, been on my mind is the blockchain one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Around the office, we've had a lot of blockchain meetings. Uh, we're all being educated on blockchain. Certainly not the hype around the space this year as there was last year when... Uh, yeah, bit of a bit of a reality check, I think, this year for some of those blockchain players. Big, Big time. time yeah. Well, how, how high did Bitcoin get? Did it get to twenty thousand yeah. US. So, yeah. so basically down sixty percent from its peak, trading about eight thousand bucks right now. And, well, again, fortunately, people don't care as much. Right? Let's get back to the, the business of uh, managing marketable securities. But you have a uh, a blockchain ETF. So the symbol on it is Link L I N K. Correct. That's right. And so in it is a bunch of companies I really don't know um, aside from Thomson Reuters. Uh, so why is Thomson Reuters in the blockchain uh, lineup? So you've got companies like Thomson Reuters, you've got companies like Microsoft, IBM, Accenture. So there's a big element of, in, in, in your product. In our product, You're, so you have a big, you have an element of the large complexes that are part of it, and then you have the smaller pure blockchain companies. And some would argue that the big firms like the Microsofts and IBMs are actually making more progress as it relates to blockchain. So I think it's important to identify that the future of blockchain may not necessarily just be about crypto mining, but it's actually about creating this entire decentralized ledger that could one day actually replace the internet. And you look at a company, and and probably the best example I can give is IBM, who's been making the most inroads. They're working for Nestle, Unilever, Walmart. So they've created blockchain technologies for Walmart that have the ability to track a piece of produce down to two seconds from where it grew. 
So imagine in the case of contamination, in the past before blockchain, it would take a week to find where that, what farm that piece of produce actually grow in, what grew on. Whereas today with blockchain technologies, they have the ability to contain it right away. And I think that's what you're starting to see. Microsoft is making a ton of progress as it relates to identity proofing as well and preventing identity theft specifically related to blockchain technologies. Sorry, do you want to explain to the audience um, your... Uh, uh, description of what is blockchain. <laughs> I get asked that. I don't. I haven't heard anybody able to actually uh, define blockchain within thirty seconds uh, or less. I mean, the best the best way I can describe it is it's a decentralized ledger. I think it's one day going to replace the internet. It uses cryptography and links, and that's the reason why we use the symbol link to actually provide that security. And what is cryptography? Cryptography is basically the coding or the embedding uh, uh, use of, of, of uh, technology that actually creates this decentralized tamper-proof ledger. So, so with your funds, you've got a lot of hot themes that you're targeting here. You've got cannabis, you've got blockchain, uh, autonomous driving. Uh, these things are very retail-focused. I mean, the retail investors all over them, which in my opinion means they may be overheated. How do you avoid um, you know, overheated-type themes? Uh, maybe take a more of a contrarian type approach where you can, uh, you know, do something that the market uh, get better value, I guess, for your dollars as opposed to the hot theme where you pay full price. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I mean, blockchain has had a, a rough part of uh, the first part of this year. Uh, for sure. But but I'm a big believer and we're pretty big believers uh, that it has longevity, that I do believe that, you know, over time, uh, it will effectively replace, if not all, but an element of the internet. And if you had an opportunity to invest in the internet in the 90s, I think a lot of people would have loved to, in retrospect, actually do that. I think cannabis is the same type of thing, a long-term trend, cybersecurity, a long-term trend. But along the way, you're going to have speed bumps, Right. No doubt about it. And, you know, right now I would say blockchain is going through a speed bump. But I think if you look at it uh, over the next five or 10 years, uh, you're going to see some continued growth there. And, and you said that you have an active overlay on all of your um, ETFs. So that Just, means basically that I guess there is an individual or a group of individuals overlooking the exchange trade of fund making the decisions as opposed to just having a passive investment like a um, an index. That's right. So make we, the decision for you. We used active for uh, the cannabis and yep. for the blockchain ETF uh, because we think it's just so new of an industry and needs active management. But for cars so and for, for cyber, active management, it is a person making the decision. That's at right. the end of the day. I want to I want to close off on another ETF that really really stands out here, um, and that is the Evolve North American Gender Diversity ETF. What is that? So basically, the easiest way to describe it would be to take a look at North American blue chip companies and the ones that have been more most proactive with increasing gender diversity in the workplace, make it into our portfolio. And what we do is we actually look at the entire vertical of an organization. I think it's really important to not just look at what percentage of females are at the board level, but also in management, the employee base, and even down to the HR policies in terms of equal pay uh, and maternity leave policies as well. So effectively, the companies that have been most proactive make our portfolio. And I would argue that, you know, a lot of people think that that's a real good feel-good investment, but there's a true investment case for it too. If you have an organization that increases gender diversity and is more proactive with it, you tend to have a happier workforce. You tend to have more balanced decision-making. And a lot of times that leads to better performance for the companies as well. So it isn't just the right thing to invest in, but there's actually a very strong investment case for it too. And MSCI, Merrill Lynch, many of the analyst houses have come out with reports showing 
seen that uh, higher gender diverse organizations actually outperform lower ones by about 2% a year. Well, I know because I, I have a study here from Equileap. Uh, do you work with them? No, they, they actually provide the methodology for our Right. Fund. So I see this methodology. So basically break it down to four categories, uh, criteria and definitions. Number one is gender balance in leadership and workforce. Uh, number two, equal compensation and work-life balance. Number three, policies promoting gender equality. Number four, commitment and transparency and accountability. Uh, so this is obviously what you're looking at to screen all of the companies. And he who gets the most points gets into the ETF, I guess. I, I, I think what, one thing I would, yes, correct. I think younger investors really want their investments to make an impact. And and to, in many cases, take an ESG, environmental, social, and governance view. And this is about good governance. So is the cybersecurity uh, is about good governance. And the CARS uh, ETF is obviously also about the environment. And I think that's really important for the younger investors today. As long as those autonomous ones don't crash. Uh, <laughs> on that note, Raj, Lala, uh, Evolve ETFs, it's a real pleasure. I wish you great success with your business. And uh, thematic investing, I think, is here to stay. Uh, Jack and I will pay more attention to your product, and you can keep pitching us, and we will, well, uh, have discussions with you on that. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk with Joe Farrell, uh, look at some charts, and you know what they say, the trend is your friend. So shall you bend with the trend, and do not set your sails into the gales. Right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Do you remember that sound, Jack? Cash register? The real cash register with buttons? Uh, not uh, Maybe in an antique store recently. Yeah? You know, probably, right beside <laughs> the, probably right beside the typewriter. Yeah. Uh, I miss those things. I remember I actually used to ski up at uh, up in Halliburton at um, uh, anyways up in Halliburton. But I was say, and they had I was a, say they if you find run. one, it'll probably be Northern Ontario. Northern Ontario, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but no, they had a ski run called the Cash Register, and oh, so yeah. the, 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 they called it that because it had a bunch of moguls in it. Uh, Sir Sam's in, yes, at Sir Sam's, the old cash register run. But uh, it's, it's like trying to find a dial uh, telephone now. Good luck. <laughs> Probably worth a lot of money. Sure. Uh, anyways, we got Joe Farrell in the studio. Um, he is with uh, Velocity Capital. Uh, Joe is a uh, technician. Uh, he looks at charts, looks for trends. Um, welcome back to the show, Joe. Oh, thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, so so let's start with the uh, the big picture, uh, the trend of the market. Um, we, the market started uh, started off 2018 on a uh, with a fire, uh, strong rally in January, and then it just began to peter out. Was it a Trump tweet that began it, Jack? Oh, all kinds of nonsense. That, that low vol shakeout, I think, really got people got those weak hands that uh, were long the market probably shouldn't have been. Maybe they were over levered, meaning they you know borrowed money to to get into the market at the wrong time. Um, I think it really shook them out, and they were the first ones to go. Right. So the, yeah, there was what was called a low volatility, low vol- volatility trade that was taking place uh, by some propeller heads, and well, they got hurt. And of course, when they get hurt, some forced selling, and forced selling pushes markets down. Uh, anyway, so here we are uh, into uh, end of April. Uh, month is basically over. Um, where are we at, Joe? Well, I agree with you guys. I mean, we went pretty stiff up into late January, almost near-term parabolic. Uh, again, I think at this point now, when I talk to institu- institutional managers, guys are in kind of one of two camps. Either you believe that the cycle is over and that we're headed into an imminent bear market. Uh, I am certainly not of that view. I think this is a late cycle correction, but uh, all of the charts I follow and all my work clearly tells me that this is a correction 
uh, in an ongoing bull market. Yeah, so so far, basically from peak to current, we're off about, what, 6 7% on the S&P 500. Uh, the Toronto market actually is down on the year by about 5%. Uh, so it has some... It in has that some initial serious. sell-off, though, we were down over 10 for sure on the yeah, S&P no, d- 500. D- so that, that was pretty painful for people that have yeah. wrote it up. And uh, like I said, maybe we're long or um, more exposed to the market than they want it to be. They call it, they what, under 10%, they call that a price adjustment. <laughs> right. And it's an adjustment. 10 to 20, it's a correction. And above 20, or lower than it was, 20, it was it's a, a bear pain, market. It was a painful trade because no one had uh, any experience of any volatility in 2017. And when they had a whiff of it at the beginning of this year, uh, they realized, you know what, these are risk assets. They do go up and down and yep. you have to be mindful of that. Correct. Correct. So, uh, you think we're still in a bull market. Jack and I believe we're in a bull market, but you know something, when the facts change, we have to change with it. Right. So uh, what's it going to take for you to say, you know something, I'm wrong. In fact, we are heading into a bear market. Time to raise some more cash. Well, again, if we were going to talk about the S&P 500, you guys are right. I mean, what, what we've had is kind of a classic ABC correction, we technicians call it. Uh, from the peak up in late January, had a real hard shot down from 2872 uh, all the way down to 2532, and that brushed down to the 200-day. That's what we call the first leg of a correction, the A leg. Then we rallied into a double top in late February, early March at 2800. Uh, and from there, we've come back down uh, into late March, early April. We've made a higher low. We're once again coming off the rising 200-day. Uh, again, I think structurally we're fine. I mean, for me to really change my mind, uh, you'd have to see the S&P and all of these global markets uh, really come back, not just crack their February lows. There's a misnomer out there that when you break the 200-day moving average, that that's it and it's all over. Uh, that can happen in a bull market. What you have to do is actually not only break the 200-day, break it, uh, you have to go below it uh, far enough and spend enough time there to actually turn the 200-day uh, south. You have to change the slope of the 200-day down. Clearly, when you look at most uh, global equity charts, we're nowhere near that. Uh, I think we're putting in a bottom here. Yeah, so the 200-day that you refer to umpteen times uh, is the 200-day moving average. So it's basically the last 200 days of prices uh, with, with an average. Uh, so it's, it's the sum divided by 200 days uh, gives you the average. And that's what uh, Joe's referring to. And so the 200-day moving average tends to be important support because stocks tend to either, well, they do trade either above or below the 200-day. And if they're below the 200-day, that tends to be a technical omen for, for bad things to come. And if they're up above the 200-day, it tends to be very, very bullish signal. But I have read repeatedly that you get out of the market when it breaks at 200 day. And I've always questioned that. I don't believe this to be true because uh, that's basically selling stuff when it's on sale uh, as opposed to chasing. It's already gone down at that point. It's already corrected, right. yeah. And, and so, what Joe's saying is when the major trend changes, when it's changed so it's going down for a long period of time correct. or a longer period of time, that's when you want to obviously revisit your asset allocation. Make sure it's a suitable mix as an investor. Um, but so, so let's take this back back down to Main Street here because my wife's really on to me about making sure we bring this down to Main Street. I know it's pretty complicated subject matter here. But ultimately, let's, let, with a, let's take the cliche, the trend is your friend, Joe. Yeah. Um, the trend that we need to pay attention to is not the day-to-day movement of prices. If you're going to look at a trend, what trend should you look at? The 200-day moving average and the direction of its slope. Is it pushing up or is it pushing down? As a first indication, I think, of... The health of the market. Does that make sense? No, to you? that that that's absolutely correct. And 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 again, bull markets uh, corrections tend to come and test rising 200-day moving averages. And again, they can breach it. But when you transition from a bull into a bear, you have to spend enough price and time below a 200-day again to actually make the 200-day roll over to make the and start work, yeah. to point down. Correct. And yeah. we're nowhere near that. We've actually just come off uh, another nice test, making a higher low. 
uh, on the 200-day again late uh, March, early April. Right. Uh, look, Joe, we're going to pay some bills around here, run a few spots, uh, and then get right back to Joe Farrell. He's a, a very, very wise technician with Velocity Trade Capital, uh, one of our partners, actually. Uh, so uh, some of his work goes into our product and ultimately help our clients make some money. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio will be right back after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We were poor, but we had love. That's the one thing that Daddy made sure of. He shoveled coal to make a poor man's dollar. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. It is a show about money. Money, money, and uh, yes, Trump and his coal, eh? And hopefully that doesn't come to fruition. But uh, we have Joe Farrell on the line in the studio, as I should say, and we're talking about trends of the market. Um, I said, Joe, what's really catching your attention right now? And he said the CRB, that's the Chicago uh, Commodity Board Index. Uh, of course, back in the day, farmers would trade their, uh, they would trade their crops uh, in advance of uh, on the Chicago trading pets uh, in the futures markets, which is where they were created. Pork bellies and wheat and all that good stuff. So farmer needs some money. They wanted certainty on price, and that's where they got certainty on price. Uh, and uh, they passed that risk on to traders. But then, of course, trade, learn to trade orange juice in trading places. Anyways, Joe, you like commodities right now, do you? So uh, you used the word late cycle. What is late cycle, and why commodities now? Well, I, I, again, generally the commodities perform late cycle because, I again, yeah, I look what, at what is late cycle? Uh, kind of near the end of a bullish phase. I mean, I'm certainly not claiming we're in the third inning of this bull market here, but I think we're kind of in the seventh or eighth inning. So when we say light cycle, kind of the last kind of thrust up uh, in a bullish phase, I think most people you know, would argue that you know this phase has been going since the 2009 low. Because again, the commodity landscape has been tough. Uh, Canada was was all the rage when commodities were going, when oil was one fifty, when oil, gold was eighteen fifty. They get to two thousand bucks, gold pretty close to two thousand. Pretty 000. close. Yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if it pierced through two thousand. Gas was trading what amaranth around twelve thirteen dollars. Copper was over four bucks. Uh, there, there were shortages on rice at one point in time. I think Walmart in the United States was actually limiting bags of rice to two per person. Uh, of course, signs of a top. Uh, then we went to major bear market in commodities, and uh, America took off. Amazon, Facebook, the FANG stocks were all the rage until January. Trump sort of rattled the technology a little bit uh, when he got inaugurated, but uh, <laughs> uh, California came back, Silicon Valley came back, made new highs. Uh, so is that trade ending and or, or the trade beginning, i.e. that growth to value trade that the street has been talking about for 12 months? Uh, are the FANG stocks and the tech stocks dead and commodity stocks going to take over or are you, you see more of a balance you, you, you reference how tough it's been for some of these commodity stocks and that's what they are. They're cyclical stocks. So they swing from, you know, overvalued to undervalued. And at the moment right now, I think Joe's saying, you know, they're undervalued. Uh, and in the late cycle, demand typically outstrips supply. And that's where you get a, a nice push at the later end of a cycle, whether it's the ninth or 10th inning, who knows. But uh, like I said, it's these types of commodities, they're cyclical and they, they will have certainly their day in the sun. I think the key here is when you actually look at the price action, I'll refer to the CRB, you guys are right. Uh, the latest stop was in 2014, mid 2014, and we had an awful crash down into early 2016. What's really uh, been happening on a price basis over the last two years is we technicians love a technical base. This is a two-year trading range that it's been coiling in here for the last, again, almost 24 months. And just in the last number of weeks, the CRB is actually starting to break out uh, of a two-year base. On the CRB, that's a little bit above 200. Again, the base itself 
uh, I can measure up 260 to 270. So again, at this point in the cycle, these stocks come to play. So sorry, is that 200 right now? You think you can go to 260? That's, that's sound, correct. That sounds like a 30% return to me. That's correct. And I would I would argue that on a technical basis, that would be kind of a minimum target I'd be looking for. The longer the base, the, the more reliable it is as an a, indicator as I've said once you guys, they break out. Yep, as I said to you guys many times, one of the main technical tenets is the longer a trading range or a base persists, the more technically important it is when it breaks out. Uh, and the more explosive it can be. And we're sitting right here on the verge of that uh, with the CRB. And again, fitting into, uh, as it usually does, uh, this group comes to play at the late point in the cycle. So again, a base is a period of time where prices uh, trade in a very, very tight range. They don't go up it, or down a lot. They just sit there. And, and, and they actually, what they do is they shake people out. People get frustrated because there's a It's dead, a very it, challenging time it, for it, investors. It's a, de- it's a it dead is, trade until it isn't. It is, like, but it, it actually, uh, it doesn't even have to be a tight range. It can be a wide range. Actually, the wider and more volatile a base is, the more explosive it is on the upside. And when we technicians measure the, the vertical depth of a base, uh, it actually projects higher targets. And that's what we've seen. So you see 30% upside for the broad commodity index, but inside that exists lumber, softs, yep. uh, in other words, foodstuffs. There would be uh, hard commodities like copper. And so uh, let's break it down. You got oil, you got base metals, and you got agriculture. Uh, and you also got forestry. Those four buckets, uh, how would you line them up in terms of uh, probabilities for making uh, maximum Cash. Well, I would tell you that lumber, I think we talked about on the last show, and lumber broke out of a huge base at 400. It's now at about 550. Uh, it's one that's actually making all-time highs. That technical base actually measures seven to $800. Uh, and again, we're clear- So what percent? What percentage of gain would that be from here? Probably another 30%. So another 30% perhaps on lumber. Again, that would be if it, if it attains the full technical measurement. More importantly, when you look down at the stocks, you look at the Canadian lumber stocks, uh, a lot of these stocks are behaving very well, making new highs. I know you guys are on my technical distribution list. Uh, one of my favorite stocks in the U.S. here, which is breaking out of a secondary trading range that itself sits on top yeah. of a major base, would be LPX, uh, Louisiana Pacific. Uh, what's next on your, in terms of your commodity list? The, probably the second one that's been behaving the best would be copper. Uh, copper was, copper's been in an uptrend now since the Trump election, currently sitting here at 320 uh, I think it's recaptured a trading range between three and four dollars. Technical tenant is when you recapture a range, generally you go poke the high of that range. That's four dollars on copper. Uh, so yes, we do like the base metal stocks. Uh, the base metal stocks are acting pretty well here. Uh, if I was to throw you to two stocks again, knowing you guys uh, see all the stocks that I recommend, uh, one of my favorites down in the U.S. would obviously be Freeport McMoran. Yeah, we own that. Again, trading in a bullish secondary on top of a huge inverse head and shoulder. Uh, base over three years. I'm looking for a breakout here uh, at uh, 20 on Freeport that could take that stock. A minimum technical measurement would be 24. Uh, I could see the stock going north of 30 uh, up here in Canada. Stock's uh, about 20 bucks right now, so 30 would be a 50% move on that stock. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and another one that we like large cup up here uh, would be Tech B. Yeah. This this stock actually has the technical potential to go well through fifty dollars, maybe in up to sixty, just on a projection of the of the technical base. You see, you know, global economic growth being synchronized. You hear trade wars. You hear Trump tweeting. At the end of the day, no. At the end of the day, the price of these commodity stocks is telling you a very different story than what you're hearing in the news and from and from Donald Trump. Well, yeah, because obviously lumber is moving because U.S. housing continues to improve, yeah. and, and copper is the PhD in economics. It means global economic activity is sound, uh, and that's a very very good point you're making, Jack. So, so what's in it for the listener today? The listener has to take away the fact that things are pretty good out there, despite uh, what the media may be reporting to you. Uh, Joe, an absolute pleasure having you on our show. You keep up the good work. Uh, keep Jack and I in the loop on what's changing. 
changing because the trend is your friend. Coming up next, we're going to talk further with Oil. Simon Ackett, Managing Director, Global Head of Energy Sales at Canaccord, right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Had some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude oil that is black gold texas tea welcome back hi-fi radio 640 in toronto wolfgang klein your host it is a show about money but we like to put a little music in it you know i've always wanted to play the banjo i play a little guitar but you know i should play you know i used to play the piano but uh yeah, that's a string, it, you know that's a string instrument absolutely yeah, yeah the it, would, banjo, it, would, it would take a while to get my uh, repertoire back up though i think yeah well we got simon ackett on the line uh, hey simon now you actually worked in the oil patch perhaps you were uh, picking away at a banjo out, out west i could see him with a harmonica out in the patch there uh, yeah <laughs> we lost, uh, time on the rigs and we learned a lot of uh, learned learn to play a lot of instruments absolutely that's good for you so uh here we are we're coming to an end of april uh it still remains this seasonally strong period for the uh, energy sector but once may comes along things change uh people start going to the cottage don't have to thank goodness we won't have to heat our homes anymore uh and you get into uh the whole new season uh so should we be be, be concerned or, or, or get set for some switches uh, as the summer driving season kicks in you know they're going to raise the price at the pumps after all on us simon well, we, we do have we do have quite a bit of gasoline in stock, so I'm not really worried about the summer driving season. So, so, so I'm going to interrupt now. you there. So, Simon said it. We have a lot of gasoline in stock. So, if they raise prices at the pump, it's a gouge. How's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I tell you, there is that seasonality this time of year that says go away in May. You know, come back in September around these energy equities. But this year's a little different. There's you know still this huge disconnect between the oil price and the equities. We're starting to see that you know. Uh, evaporate uh, very slowly. There's going to be a few key indicators that get us more excited. What are you looking for? One is big cash flow numbers in the quarter. Everyone had higher oil prices, so we're going to see bigger cash flow numbers as people start reporting Q1, which starts this week. Mm -hmm. Second is we're going to see guidance. If people start taking their numbers up for the year in terms of cash flow guidance, that's also going to get the space excited. And why do we care about cash flow? Because it means more dividends, more share buybacks, more mergers and acquisitions, more assets moving around. Um, You know, it'll be the driver of uh, of these oil equities. And so again, ultimately, our, our listeners care about themselves as they should, what's in it for me. So if, comp- if the oil stocks make more money uh, and they pay more dividends, hopefully the share price goes up, which means your RSP is going to be bigger. That's ultimately what we're trying to do here, eh, Simon? Uh, help people grow their RESP, their RRSP, so uh, lead them in towards good investment ideas and steer them away from uh, problematic uh, situations that, uh, of course, are always around the corner as well. Um, the, 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 the Trans Mountain Pipe, uh, you know, uh, our prime minister had to uh, f- fly back, I guess, to Ottawa, uh, or to Calgary, or PC, where did he have to fly to? Anyway, he had to fly somewhere. Big, big summit he had big. to make it back for. Him. <laughs> yeah. Wherever he goes, it's important. He had to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because obviously he, he had to get tough and say, Kinder Morgan, you know, uh, please don't run away. Uh, we need you. We're going to help you uh, build this uh, pipeline to help us get our crude oil to other markets. The, the most frustrating thing I think we have here in Canada is the fact that we have to sell our oil to one customer, the Americans, and, and sell it at a third. $30 discount to the market price. I, I, that, that 
boggles my mind, Simon. It, it does. Everybody's focused on this thing called the differential. Uh, it's been up and down like a yo-yo in the past six months. It happens to be fairly tight right now. And, you know, the issue is that we can't get our crude into the United States, and the best way for us to do it going forward will be pipelines. But for now, we need some big rail contracts to be signed. And, you know, once those get signed, we'll start seeing our crude move down south. But the, ultimately, the Trans Mountain purpose is to get our crude to Asia or Europe, is it not, to get to the coast and then basically open up the foreign markets beyond America, am I correct? That's right. If we can get it out to the West Coast and we can get it on tankers, we can get it to Asia. Everyone knows the details around Trans Mountain. You can read about it in the press. Let me give you some perspective from U.S. investors looking into Canada. Mm -hmm. We're international investors. They need resolution on this. They want to see this get resolved to show the commitment that Canada has to get this crude out of Alberta. So all eyes on Canada, all eyes on Trans Mountain. At the margin, the Canadian stock market was making new highs when you had the foreign buyer. Much of those foreign buyers were, were, were American money uh, investing in Canada. The income trust, for example, Americans were all over our income trust. Once we ended those, that foreign money left. Once oil went cold, that foreign money left. Uh, so oh, I would say what foreign money wants is they want stability. They want some certainty with policy. They don't want to have uncertainty where, you know, provinces are, you know, threatening to cut mm-hmm. off gas pipelines or gas distribution from, you know, Alberta to BC doesn't make any sense. So Simon, in your opinion, how do we improve our global relations, um, you know, as, as an economic, shall I say, superpower wannabe, uh, certainly the commodity patch? How do we bring back that foreign money to, to, to bid our stocks higher? Well, first of all, we need to show that we have unison. And, and right now it looks like we're, uh, you know, we have all these different factions around Canada you know, dealing with their own self-interest. We need to think about the overall interest for Canada, and that will be important, and we're starting to see that come together. Uh, Trudeau is trying to pull us all together. Um, the, the other thing is that we are having problems with some of the transportation issues in Canada, but in my view, it's starting to get reflected in these stocks. So you're getting these stocks now at a price that says, hey, all this uncertainty is priced in. If we get any resolution, these stocks are going to go up materially on the back of that. Rate of Before change, yeah. are looking at Canada saying, is the worst priced into these stocks? Should I buy them now for a lift as things get resolved? Right. Uh, look, we're on the line here with Simon Ackett, Managing Director and Global Head of Energy Sales at Canaccord. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back to Simon uh, just to learn a little bit more about how we can make some money in the energy patch right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Pulling keys, playing pipes. Hard labor. Well, I was born in a boomer shack. Hey, Simon, what is a boomer shack? Do you know what a boomer shack is? Because you were a roughneck. Uh, you know what? That's that's way before my time. I'm actually not sure what a boomer shack is. I, it sounds very positive, though. Sounds like you're finding oil. <laughs> yeah. Kind of storage in the shack. Man, it's funny because Canada can be so boom and so bust. And I remember the uh, the big boom back in the I guess late '70s, early '80s in Alberta. And everyone in Ontario was moving to Alberta, and then it went bust. And boy, that bus was tough. Yeah, that was late 80s, I would imagine, when it went bust. And then I remember going back to the Saddle Dome. My buddy Stu Myers, a uh, broadcasting friend of mine, he got a pair of tickets to see the... And he was Calgary was playing someone, and uh, they had Hexalt. Uh, it was the last season playing playing net for them. It was great, oh boy. great game. But they were flaring off in the Saddle Dome NAC gas, uh, just flaring it off. Any opportunity to flare the NAC gas, and Stu slaps, yeah, we got all the NAC gas we need. I hope they got a good exhaust system in that building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't smell it, but it was just classic. You know, the Calgary Flames, everyone's in red jerseys, and they're just flaring this NAC gas. 
just just classic, eh? So I mean, you you must have seen it before. I've seen boom and bust uh, through several cycles. It, it's tough on on all the Calgarians and all the associated services, but man, when it's good, it's really good. Well, sure, it's and, real good. Uh, Again, well, look at look at the boom. People working at what Tim Hortons up in Athabasca were being paid what twenty five or thirty dollars an hour. Uh, so when it's good, it can be real good out west without question. But it's it's not great right now, is it? it it's not. Um, but you know the the lows are in. And, and things are getting much more constructive. We're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs finding assets from larger companies, doing deals, being able to raise money. So things have gotten much more constructive. Uh, we're speaking a little bit of electric cars uh, earlier in our show. There's about 50,000 electric cars uh, on the streets of Canada right now, Simon. There's 33 million combustibles out there, my good friend. So th- this combustible engine is not going away anytime soon, uh, regardless of uh, what other people are trying to tell you. So yeah, give us a couple quick ideas in the interest of time here. How can we make some money in the oil patch? Well, it, well if we want to play that theme of increased cash flows and we want to, you know, take advantage of companies that can, you know, what they're going to do with that cash flow. I like the large caps. I like Suncor. I like CNQ. These companies have oil sands assets that have 50 to 60 year lives with very low decline rates, very low capex to maintain that production. So what are they going to do with all that free cash flow? They're going to give it back to you. More dividends, more share buybacks. Suncor is a good core holding, isn't it? It really is a good core Canadian it has, holding. It is a core holding. That's sleep at night. You know, steady dividend increases. They're buying back stock. When you have an asset that doesn't decline for 50 or 60 years with very minimal money you have to throw into it to keep that engine going, it generates a lot of free cash. Yeah, people, again, just for the sake of the, yeah, the sake of the interest of the listener, decline rates mean when you find some oil, as you take it out of the ground, uh, the the reservoir depletes. Uh, So you have to find more barrels. Suncor doesn't need to look for any barrels. It's right there. They know exactly where it is. All they have to do is mine the stuff, correct? That's correct. You mine it, you dig it, you put it through a processing plan, and then there you've got you upgrade it. And then you've got oil that's actually worth more than WTI synthetic. Yeah. All right. So and, moving down the ladder, we, you mentioned Suncor and CNQ. What else do you yes. like? If, if we're going to go a little smaller, I like that theme. I've talked about it with listeners before on the call. I like oil focused. I like you know Canadian listed names with assets in the U.S. Yeah, U.S. assets. Uh, th- those would be Interplus and PetroShale. PetroShale is basically the, you know, smaller version of Enterplus, but it's concentrated in Enterplus's core asset, which is the North Dakota Bakken doubling production this year, netbacks that compare, they're actually better than the uh, the Canadian producers. Hey, I, I look, interest of time, so I want to throw a quick one at you. I, I remember about 10 years ago, again, when oil was all the rage and foreign money was in Canada, Jack's buddy came up to Canada in a helicopter, Buffett. And he flew over Athabasca to study what he thought was an amazing long-term investment. And I believe he invested in the, in, in the oil sands. But then I also think he pulled his money out of that did, trade yeah. and put into IBM. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a good trade or not, because IBM went down and oil sands went down as well. But they've recovered. Uh, does Simon, do you know offhand, is, is Warren Buffett's, uh, does he have any interest in, in the oil sands anymore? He hasn't talked about that of, of late. No, I th- he, he, he did sell his Suncor position. We have seen some foreigners sell their oil sand positions. In our view, that's positive. It's in the hands of Canadians that understand this asset, that believe in this asset, that, and that are investing heavily in the asset. You know, we're, so a small, yeah, we're a small country, and they're really, when you look at Canada, there is not a ton to invest in in Canada. So when you have a couple of great ones, you sort of are almost forced to buy it because your alternative ends up being a very, very small company. And if you want stability in your portfolio, uh, ballast type 
type companies are hard to come by. Microsoft is a ballast company. Suncor is a ballast type company. Simon, it's a real treat having you on, man. You know the oil patch real well. Uh, we appreciate your time as always. You uh, go out there and make some money for your clients and uh, any more wisdom, share it with the audience on Hi-Fi Radio. Real treat. Folks, that's it for the show. I want to wish you all a great weekend and we will be back with you next week on Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.